morning. Good morning. So good to see you here. Thank you for joining us um, on this uh, second Sunday of uh, January. If you're watching online, I just want to say thank you too for tuning in. We love it that you're able to join with us, uh, in a sense, here in the room um, uh, too. So thank you for that. Um, We are moving into week two of this series called uh, Fake uh, News, Fake God. Do you know what? There is so much fake news about that people often struggle to know what is it that we should be believing in uh, of the things that we read in our media. You know, just um, over the last day or so, I've been really concerned about Kate and Meghan uh, because, you know, I think they've had a fallout. I know. I know. I've hardly been able to sleep at night over this. Okay, because Kate was celebrating her 37th birthday and, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, but Meghan didn't go. And so there's this fallout between the two of them. And do you know why? It's because Megan is now kind of, um, she's, she's bigger. She's, I don't mean bigger. I mean, she's just bigger in the media um, than Kate is now. And Kate's pretty disturbed by that. And so, yeah, I think we should pray right now for them, don't you? Cool. It's the stuff that you read and you hear that and you think, is that what's going on? Is that true? There is so much fake news about. And so when it comes to uh, the idea of believing in God and religion and faith, there is, there is so much said that so often people get to the point and they just think, I don't know what to believe, so I am stepping away from belief. And so when that survey comes out that every now and again you have to fill in and you put your name, address and all of that kind of stuff, and then it has religious affiliation, sure enough, it's that little box which has none next to it because we don't want to identify with any kind of religion or any denomination. We have stepped away. We have stopped believing because we don't know what to believe. And if that's you then I just want to be able to say, whether you're watching online or here in the room, do you know what? I understand. I understand how that disbelief can happen and can take place. Because maybe you've grown up going to church uh, and you stopped going to church as a teenager because it wasn't cool or or because you started asking questions, fact-based questions, and yet you kept on from the church getting faith-based answers and they didn't they didn't seem to answer the question. So you were just told, well, you've just got to believe. You've just got to believe. And that seems so inadequate. Maybe you've hit a really rough time in life. And so it's just caused you to question, if there's a God, why did he allow that to happen to me? I understand that because they're the big questions that come up in life. And honestly, the church often hasn't been very good at being able to cope with the questions that people ask about faith and ask about the the complexities uh, of life. And so this series, um, Fake News, Fake God, uh, is based on a brilliant six-week series by a man called Andy Stanley. And the series is called um, Who Needs God? And you are able to access, if any of you are part of a 10-month group and you want to kind of explore this further, um, uh, there is a website that you can go to where you can um, download all of his talks and also the material of www.whoneedsgod.com. It's that one just there. Last week, I highlighted five different fake gods that uh, somehow people get caught up believing in at some point. We talked about the bodyguard God, you know, that good things happen to good people, and so God will protect good people from bad things. 
We talked about the Netflix God, the on-demand God. God, I've got this need. I want you to step in and I want you to answer it now because you answer prayer. It's the kind of God that so often people believe in. There's the boy or girlfriend God, which says, uh, while I feel, I just feel God. Feel, I, feel, I feel he's close. And there's the guilt God, that God loves you, but he doesn't like you very much because you're not very good. Or there's the anti-science God where you have to make this choice of, do you believe the Bible or do you believe the scientist? One person said after the service last week, um, uh, they said this, I think I've believed in each one of those gods at various times in my life. And it's true. You just look down at that, ever ask the question, why did God allow that to happen? Well, it's because you believe in a bodyguard God where God should protect you. Uh, And actually, these are the gods which we have to let go of. These gods do not exist We have to let go of them. Even if we've been brought up to believe in them, we have to let go because they are fake gods. You see, what happens is this, is that um, uh, for people like myself and and, and maybe a number of you um, here or a number of you watching, you were taken to Sunday school at an early age. And so you were taught the Bible stories and you were taught that God loves everyone. And you were taught that it's really important to pray because why? When you pray, God answers your prayer. And And teaching that at Sunday school is actually a really good thing to be able to do because it is so simple. It's a little bit like if you're with a child and the child looks at someone on the bus and they are incredibly pregnant and they say, what's happened to that person over there? You'll say, well, there's a baby that's growing in the mummy's tummy. Now, that's a good answer for a baby or for a child. It is. When you get to a teenager, don't say that. Don't say that because that answer no longer is sufficient for a teenager or an adult. Why? Because there are more nuances to it than the baby is just growing in mummy's tummy. In the same way, if we have a faith which is built on a Sunday school faith, where everything will be kept simple, and it's right that it should be kept simple for a child, if that faith doesn't grow, and if the understanding of that doesn't change and doesn't grow with us emotionally and intellectually, we, we end up with these kinds of of gods. And those gods don't exist. So today, what I want us to do is I just want us to think about the God that Jesus followed. And this is going to be fun because Jesus said some amazing things about God, but he also said some amazing and kind of outlandish things about himself. And if these weren't true, these would be utterly blasphemous. And what they are, they're recorded by uh, a man called John, one of Jesus' closest disciples. Jesus had 12 people that um, he invested in really heavily for three years. And John was probably the closest to Jesus, the closest friend of Jesus of all of the disciples. John had been a fisherman and he'd worked with his dad. His dad's name was Zebedee. Just makes me smile every time I say that because it just reminds me of... um, What's the program? Magic Roundabout, isn't it? That's right. Uh, but he, so he worked with his dad, Zebedee, and uh, his brother, uh, James. And when they encountered Jesus, Jesus says, leave what you're doing and you come and follow me. Now, in those days, to follow a rabbi, wow, to be chosen was just so exciting. So they did just that. They left their dad and their dad's business and they went and they started following Jesus. And they listened to Jesus' teaching and they saw Jesus doing the most extraordinary things. 
And they did that. They followed Jesus for three years. And as time went on, this man called John, who we're going to be um, hearing of what he had to write about Jesus. As time went on, he started to believe that this Jesus just might be the Son of God, the Messiah that the Jews had been waiting for. And then, near the end of those three years, Jesus was arrested and he was hung on a cross and he was killed. And John was there. John was there at the arrest. He ran away. He was scared at that point. And when Jesus was hung on the cross, there was John standing alongside Jesus' mum, Mary. He witnessed it. Jesus was dead. And so ended John's faith in Jesus. Because Jesus was obviously another fake God. He had offered fake hope. Because here he was dead. So what changed for John? Well, it was three days later. Jesus rose from the dead. And John ran to the empty tomb. He saw what had taken place. John had spent time with Jesus having breakfast after the resurrection. John had been in the room with the other disciples when Jesus had entered the room on two different occasions. John had talked with him. And then suddenly, John was aware of the things which Jesus said when he said, I'm going to lay down my life and three days later I'm going to pick it up again. And there was Jesus who had laid down his life and three days later was back alive. And then suddenly, this thing called the way which was later to be called Christianity, began and took off and grew and grew. So if we're wanting to find out who God really is, if we want to find out what God is really like, then to go to the person of Jesus is a great person to go to. Someone who lived, who died, who rose again. And whatever he said came true. And Jesus said several defining things about God that were recorded by John. Let me just go to one of them. But if you have been to a funeral, um, uh, you will know that there's a reading that often takes place where it starts off, um, uh, believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many rooms, if it weren't so. And it goes on to this little reading that's used almost at every funeral. And then it finishes with, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And then the reading stops, and that's the bit that everyone knows. The reading doesn't stop. In fact, it carries on. And I want to look at some verses that John carried on after saying those words or writing those words down. Here we go. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. Now, Jesus isn't talking about Joseph because Joseph would have died a number of years uh, before this. He was talking about God himself. If you really know me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, if you're sitting there listening to Jesus talking and suddenly he comes out with that, all kinds of questions will come through your head. If you really know me, you will know my father. What are you saying, Jesus? Are you saying that, that you're equal to God? Is that what you're saying? And so Philip, one of the disciples, uh, asks the question out loud that everyone is really asking themselves in this little group. And Philip said, Lord, would you show us the Father and that will be enough for us. He says, look, you talk about us knowing God. We don't know God. We don't know what he's like. That doesn't make sense. So can you ask him to put a little appearance in? And if he puts a little appearance in, then we're going to know what God is like. And then Jesus says the most outrageous thing. It won't be, if you're a Christian, this won't be outrageous to you. 
because you're just used to it and you lose the power of what Jesus said. This is what Jesus said. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. The words I say, I don't speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing this work. In other words, you just look at that. What Jesus is saying is this. If you want to know what God is like, look at me. If you want to know what God thinks, then you listen to me. If you want to know what God is up to, this is what Jesus is saying, look look at what I'm up to. And this is astonishing for anyone to say. And it wasn't lost on the people either. So Jesus recognises this and he carries on. And he says this, believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works himself. I think Jesus knew that what he was saying seemed so outrageous. It was just mind-blowing for these, uh, these followers, these disciples. He knows that it's hard for them to believe this. So he says, that if you can't believe what I say, believe in what I say because of what I've done. And what have they done? Well, they had been with Jesus when Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, who had been dead for four days. They rolled the stone away thinking, what are we doing? What are we doing? This is awful. We've had the funeral. This is horrible. And they roll the stone away. And then Lazarus comes out alive again. Jesus says, if you can't believe my words, at least believe me because of the actions, because of the miracles, because of the evidence that is before you. And do you know what? This is so, so important because this still applies today. When it comes to the Christian faith, ask questions of it. Christianity doesn't ask us to believe in belief. You've just got to squeeze your hands, squeeze your toes and just try and believe. No, 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 not at all. You haven't got to take on this thing called religious belief. Not at all. It's not a blind act of faith. Christianity invites us to weigh the evidence and you will discover that the evidence stacks up, which is why we can believe. So what did this Jesus, who claimed to be like God, who said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, what did he have to say about God? Well, one day, Jesus went to a well. He was thirsty. It was about midday. It had been really hot. And he went to the well to to draw some water. And there was a lady who was there, a Samaritan lady. And he got talking with her. And Samaritans and Jews, um, they, they kind of had a similar belief, but it was definitely different. And so they got talking. And the lady got talking to Jesus about who God was. If she knew who she was talking to, it was probably a poor topic to pick up on because she was going to lose that kind of conversation, really. But anyway, she started talking. And John records the events. And this is what he writes down. He says, um, Jesus says, here we go, God is spirit. And his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So one of the things which Jesus said about God is this, that God is spirit. Now, this was really unusual. Again, we're so used to this, but this was really unusual because every pagan nation surrounding Israel had physical gods. 
So they worship the sun, they worship the moon, they worship the river, they might worship statues of animals. They had something tangible that they could touch and hold. That was their gods. And so when it came to Israel, Israel's God was very different. He was not physical, he was spirit. He was not, or he was immaterial. He wasn't bound by time or space. And all the way through the Old Testament, one of the things which God kept on telling the people of Israel was this, don't have any idols. Because if you have an idol, suddenly God becomes this touchable thing, this lucky charm that you can take around with you. Why? It's because God is spirit. So when they built the temple, lots and lots of religions had temples, which is why the Jews wanted a temple. They wanted to be like the other nations. So they built this temple to worship God in. And uh, after a number of years, a man called Nebuchadnezzar came and invaded and took over um, uh, and took the people of Israel uh, away to Babylon. That's when you get that song, you know, by the rivers of Babylon, you know, it's the people have been taken away. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar, um, when he sent the soldiers in, said, I want you to take uh, and plunder as much as he can and get Israel's God as well. And so when they went into the temple and they went into the Holy of Holies, they found nothing because there wasn't a, a physical God present just like every other temple. Why? Because God is spirit. I think this has very little impact on you and I today because we are educated 21st century um, uh, Western people. Uh, and so we find what Jesus says that God is, um, is spirit is, just seems rather obvious to us. And by and large, we don't expect God to be a physical presence because we know that there's more than just flesh and blood. We know that there is kind of, there, there is something, a, a spiritual aspect to life, which is why when we go to funerals, we, we, we always hope that there is something more. But if you think about it though, our scientists and thinkers, from people like Darwin and Einstein going through to Stephen Hawkins and others. They've encouraged us to believe something, to believe that this, that the evidence suggests through science that there was what was called a, singular, a singularity or a single event that took place that formed our universe. We talk about it in simple terms as the Big Bang. And that everything now exists, such as our universe, all space, all time, all matter, the laws of nature, the laws of physics, they can all be traced back to this one point, to this one event in history. Now, I don't know whether that's true or not, but Christians have always believed in an uncreated creator. In other words, the first cause for matter, for time, for the rules that govern them. The creator is not material. The creator is not bound by time. The creator sits above the laws of nature and the laws of physics. In other words, that the creator God is a God who is spirit. And Jesus, very basically, very simply, for his first century audience, just simply said this, God 
is spirit. He's outside time. He's outside space. He's outside matter. God is not limited by any limitation that you and I have, which will cause us frustration. God is different. God is spirit. But Jesus had more to say than that. He doesn't leave it at that. That having started with what perhaps seems like a wishy-washy kind of God is spirit out there somewhere, suddenly Jesus nails it down. That God is spirit. We move on to the fact that Jesus called God Father. He said this, God is Father. Have you ever spent time with someone who is just brilliant at someone and that you feel very inadequate when spending a long time, you know, spending time with them? You know, I've had it when I've talked with um, uh, lead guitarists and, uh, uh, and they, they just play stuff, which I just think it's a dream. I just wish I could do it. Uh, and, uh, and then if I ever have time or the courage, I will pluck up and I'll say, can you show me how you do that? And I'll get my little guitar out and they'll get their guitar and they'll have a go showing me and normally I can't do it. But there is something about seeing someone who is brilliant at something and we want to be like them. Well, the disciples had that. They would watch Jesus when he prayed. And the way that Jesus prayed and they prayed was so different that they were just saying, how does he do that? How does he do that? And so one day they plucked up the courage to ask Jesus, how do you pray? Will you teach us? And you will know, many of you will know, that Jesus started his prayer when he was going to teach them how to pray to God. He says this, when you pray, say, Father. Now, it's really helpful to understand in the light of what we've already learned that God is spirit, God is not material, that God isn't male. Okay, God isn't male, God isn't a man, God doesn't have a gender which is incredibly trendy nowadays, isn't it? God doesn't have a gender. So when Jesus calls God his father, he's not simply saying that God is like your dad. Because he can't be, because he's spirit, he's different. God is not a father like our imperfect fathers. Now my dad is great, my dad's sitting across over there, he is great, but he is not perfect. I could tell you story after story. No, not really. There was a speaker, um, uh, a church leader, uh, a guy called Louis Giglio, who puts it like this. I love what he says. He says, not the reflection of our imperfect fathers, that God is the perfection of father. So in other words, while God is spirit, just seems out there. It just seems a bit strange, impersonal and removed. God being father is the opposite. So God might be different, but God is close. God is personal. And encouraging us to call God father, Jesus brings him up close and makes him personal. So whenever we talk to God, Jesus says, don't say dear God, you can do, but but dear God just seems out there. He says, no, no, make it personal. Say father. And that will remind you that although God is different, although God is not tangible, you can't touch him, you can't can't have a little statue of him, you can know that God is close and personal. And what God wants for the most for each one of us is a relationship with us. 
It's not primarily about rules or about rituals or even um, the way in which you live your life. Those things might be important, but honestly, the fact that God is our Father says that God wants a relationship with you. The heart of who he is, he wants a relationship with you and me. So if you've stepped back from faith because it was this list of rules which were just too hard to keep and all it did was make you feel guilty and so you lived with this guilty God syndrome. I want you to hear this, that the God that Jesus first and foremost explained to us was this, that he is our father and he wants a relationship with us. And in fact, he wants you to call him father and to know him. So God is spirit. God is different. God is, God is different to you and I. He's not limited by anything that we are limited by. But God is close because he is our father. And thirdly, thirdly, it's this one. That God is love. John, the writer of the Gospel of John, and he also wrote three letters that you find in the last five books of the, um, the Bible, as we know, of the New Testament. John had been exiled for what he believed in, his, his faith in Jesus. So he'd been exiled to this island called Patmos, where he saw out his final days. He was the disciple who lived the longest out of everyone, out of all of the disciples. And it was there that he was distilling what Jesus had said and done. And he recorded it in his gospel and in some letters that he sent. And as he was thinking about what Jesus is like and of what God is like, he comes up with this phrase. And it's the most amazing phrase. This is what he writes. You happy to bring it up? God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is an incredible statement for him to make because he has seen the most extraordinary violence in his life. You see, the Roman authorities came to hate the Christians. The Jewish leaders came to hate these Christians, these people called the way. They hated them so much that they were put to death. Basically, they were unleashed, um, they unleashed terror on these Christians. And so most of John's fellow disciples and early Christians had been killed. They had been um, burnt at the stake or burnt as uh, flaming torches. They had been crucified. They had been killed by the sword. And so John rather than being killed, had been banished to this island because it just seemed like every time they killed a Christian, more Christians seemed to surface. And so they, they changed their tack and so they isolated him onto this island. And John looks at a world that is just ravished by violence and he writes these words, God is love. Based on what? Based on the suffering around? No, of course not. What did he base that on? He based it on Jesus. Now, there is evil. We recognise wickedness when we see it. Of course we do. But why do we recognise it? Why do we think that something is evil? It's because we have seen something good. And when compared to good, we understand and recognise what evil is. 
And John says, God is love. And so we will understand what hate is. Why? In the light of knowing what love looks like. And if we are to be God followers, do you know what? It is essential for you and I to do just that, to love. That the God of Jesus says, it's not about how much we know, it's not about how much we give, it's not about how many times we attend. The God of Jesus says that it's about how we demonstrate love. That's what matters. And why does it matter? Because the God of Jesus is love. When Jesus was about to be arrested, he sat down with his closest followers. And and he knows they won't remember much of what he's going to say. And they're not going to understand it straight away. But he asked them to remember this one thing. And this one thing was to distinguish them from every other community, every other religion, every other faith thinking or non-faith thinking. This is what he said they should do. I'm giving you a new commandment. You are to love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So if God is God like, if God is spirit, that God is father, God is love. To be a follower, to be a true follower, it's all about love. But you might be sitting here thinking, because of your experience of life and because of the hurt that you've experienced, of stuff going wrong in your life, and you kind of think, well, yeah, that's great. If God is love, that sounds lovely. But how come he allowed that to happen to me? How come there is so much suffering in the world? Well, do you know what? That is a great question to ask, an essential question to ask, which is why you have to come back next week. You do. You have to tune in next week because that's what we're looking at next week. It's the big question that so many people ask when it comes to God. It's fine me standing on stage saying God is love. Oh, that feels nice and gooey. But what does it mean? Why does bad stuff happen if that's the case? Hmm. So I think to understand what God is like, we have to look at the person of Jesus to find out what he said about God. And Jesus said this, God is spirit. He's different. He's not limited in any way. He is the first cause of everything. That God is Father. That he is intimate and close that he wants a relationship with you and me. And he says, talk to me. Go on, when you talk to me, just say, start off by saying, Father, because I'm close. And that God is love. The very essence of who God is, is just that. It's love. And if we're going to be followers of this God of love, then we need to live out love in our lives. It's the life of that Jesus calls us to. It's the life that will let the whole world know that we're Jesus followers, followers of the man who personified love on earth, Jesus himself. So next week it is the biggie. So make sure you tune in 
make sure you come back and join us here next week. Let me pray for us. Lord, there are so many different versions of you that um, just distract us from who you really are. And Lord, there is a hunger in many of our hearts to know who the real God is. And I thank you, Jesus, that you were able to say that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father because you, you demonstrated through who you were and how you lived what God is like. But I thank you that you taught us that God is spirit, that God is different, that God is not limited, which means that we, we can worship the most amazing God who is even outside of our understanding. And yet we can worship you, God, as our Father, close, intimate, close relationship with you, the perfect dad. And would you help us as we search after you to start to reflect the very essence of who you are, of you being a God who is love. Help us to learn to love like you. In Jesus' name, amen.